First off, I just want to welcome you guys here tonight. It's so cool to see you again. Some of you are new, and if you're new, I just want to say welcome. If you're not new, I want to say welcome. I'm glad you're here. Uh, and I believe that the second week of campus or the second week of college is better than the first week. You know, last year, I don't know what it was, but the second week, Jesus just showed up in this place, like in just a supernatural way. And it was one of the best weeks of the semester. So I'm believing that for tonight. I believe that Jesus wants to do something tonight to build on last week. Last week was incredible, but I believe Jesus wants to do more tonight. So tonight we're continuing our sermon series, Brand New. And the heart behind this series is that Jesus wants to make us brand new. Jesus wants to transform our lives, give us a fresh start, and help us become the person that he created us to be. Jesus wants to do something new in our lives and also on this campus. I just believe that God is up to something new in our day. In 2016, God wants to move in our nation, move on this campus, move in our lives. So last week we talked about how it doesn't matter if you're religious or not religious, all of us need forgiveness. And if we come to Jesus, he will embrace us with open arms and forgive us. We talked about how Jesus forgives us. And through forgiveness, we're made new. We're given a fresh start. And then tonight we're talking about how Jesus sets us free from our sin. I'm just going to warn you, this is kind of a heavy message. So like I practiced it with Emily last night, and she's like, you might want to throw a funny story in there or something. So just get ready for it. And I do have a funny story for us, so I'll start with that. Let's go. So have you ever had a time where you did something really stupid, and you didn't know what to do to get yourself out of a situation? Like you're just like, I really blew it. I don't know what to do. You feel trapped. So for me, when I was in second grade, I had one of these situations. We began... Just as a class, we started taking, you know, like the old school pencils and taking the metal piece off of the, or the part by the eraser. We took it off and we make it into loop earrings. And all of us guys started wearing them. And it was just so cool. We were so hip. And I, it kind of took a while for, for me to get one because like, I didn't know how to make them, you know. So I don't know if you've ever taken like a spiritual gifts test or tried to figure out what you're good at. Craftsmanship, I get zero every time. I can't do anything, so I had to wait for my friends to make me one. Finally, after like two weeks, it's not even cool anymore, but I finally get one. And I put it in my ear. I'm pumped up about it. Then I go to gym class. I'm like, crap, because we start running in circles, and it's falling off. So I'm running around like this. So I'm running, doing my thing, and then I'm thinking, okay, I can't keep this here, so I'm just going to drop it in the fire alarm right here. Just drop it there real quick, and I'll get it later. I don't know what I was thinking. But then I forgot about it, and... The next morning, I woke up at like 6 a.m. like, shoot, I forgot my earring there. So mom, get me to school early. So mom got me there super early, and so I went straight into the gym, and there it was. And I can remember, I can still picture it. I just reached my hand in there. Don't ever do this, but I reached my hand in there, and boom, the pull-down sign just fell, and everyone's looking at me like, what an idiot. But they all started just running out of the, just running out of the gym. There was a teacher who saw me, but she did not turn me in. She was really sweet. But anyways, so... So I go to class, and the principal comes over to the intercom and is like, you know, really scary. You know, whoever the perpetrators are going to catch you, and you're going to get in big trouble. And I'm just this really good kid, and I'm super scared. I'm feeling guilty, feeling shame. I don't know what to do. And finally, I say, I can't handle this anymore. I can't handle the shame, God. So I go to the principal's office and turn myself in. I'm expecting to get a suspension. You know, there's one kid that was brave enough once to pull the fire alarm in kindergarten, and that kid didn't care about anything, though. He was just like, kid, like, suspend me. I don't give a poop. I don't, get what you, I don't care what you do to me. But for me, I was really scared. I went in there, and I just bawled my eyes out. And I actually made up a story because I was really embarrassed about the, about the earring. So I said I tripped and grabbed the fire alarm. I'm pretty sure the principal knew I was lying. But, uh, but anyways, I was expecting suspension, but he gave me a hug and said, it's okay. 
and he sent me back to class. I didn't get the earring back. So there's what happened. I went home. I threw away the earring, and I actually got my real ears pierced. I had both my ears pierced from second grade. So I was a cool kid, and I had blonde hair. I bleached it. That was the thing <laughs> back in 2000. So <laughs> actually, Backstreet Boys was my band, but whatever. So I think it's safe to say that there's many of us who have had a struggle like this. We screw up bad, we feel guilty, and we don't know how to get out, and we feel trapped. All of us have fallen to what the Bible calls sin. So what is sin? It's simply put, the definition is missing the mark. So like, all of us have missed the mark of God's design on our lives. We do something that's against his law, it's against his design, so we sin. Or, or another way to, to define sin is when we make good things into ultimate things. We talked about this last week. So sex is a good gift from God. It's created by God. It's good inside of marriage, but if you make it an ultimate thing, you have sex outside of marriage, it becomes sin. Or how about food? It's a good thing. God created food. Go eat that steak. Go eat those chicken wings after this at beat ups. But when it becomes an ultimate thing in your life, it becomes gluttony. Or how about money? It's a good thing. It's something God gave us to steward, but if you make it an ultimate thing, it becomes greed, and it begins to hold you captive. So all of us have fallen captive to sin in some way or the other, and maybe like me after you or after I pulled the fire alarm, you feel guilty and you feel trapped. Some of us have habitual sin in our life, just sin that we can't get out. It's like an addiction, or maybe it is an addiction. Maybe it's something that's consumed you, and it's put a strain on your relationship with God because of it. Some of us struggle with anger. We just have outbursts of anger, and we don't know how to control it. Or maybe you struggle with you know, sex or, or struggle with greed. Whatever it may be, all of us struggle with sin to some degree. That's what the Bible says. It says, all have fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned. And Satan is going to try to tell us that there's no way out, that it's always going to be this way, that we're always going to be held captive to making other things than the true God, the Lord of our lives. Satan's going to tell us, you cannot get out of this. Satan doesn't want you to throw yourself at the mercy of God like it did with the principle. He wants you to feel trapped and hide it from people and keep it in the dark. Satan doesn't want you to bring it out to the light. Satan's going to tell you there's no way Jesus could set you free from that. I'm here to tell you tonight, I'm living proof that Jesus can set you free from your sin. doesn't matter what it is, Jesus can set you free. Satan's been telling some of us that God could never love you because, because you're too screwed up. He's been making you feel condemned and guilty and full of shame. He's been telling you that there's no way for freedom. I'm here to tell you that Jesus does love you. He sees how flawed you are. He knows everything about you. Jesus knows every single sin you are committed, but at the same time, he loves you so much that he came and died for you. Told you it's going to be deep. This is like two minutes into the sermon. All right. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 7, verse 53. It's the last verse of that chapter, and then we're going to go into the first 11 verses of chapter 8. And as you're turning there, I'm going to pray for us. Jesus, we thank you for tonight. I just pray that although this is a heavy topic, that this could just be a, just a spirit of enjoying one another. And, and God, I pray that, that your Holy Spirit would have his way in this, or during this message, and that people would find freedom tonight from our sin. God, I pray that you would free us from the bondage and from the lies that Satan tells us. Lord, I pray that tonight would be a night of freedom, that the, or it says in the word that, you know, that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And God, I ask you for that right now, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so this is a very popular story. It's a story of how Jesus interacts with a woman who's been caught in adultery. So in other words, she's having sex with someone who's not her husband. And it really needs no introduction, because you may have heard it. It just doesn't need an introduction. So let's just jump into it. Verse 53. They went each to, to his own house. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. And early in the morning, he came again to the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. 
the scribes and the Pharisees, which were the religious people of the day, they were kind of the ones that were making sure everyone's obeying God, brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? They said this to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. And Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. So they're trying to test Jesus. They're wanting to see if Jesus would contradict the law, which is in the early part of the Old Testament. It's located in the Torah, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Is anyone in Humanities 1 class in here? Anybody? Okay, Lexi and Tana. Okay, so when I was in Humanities 1, I had to read the first five books of the Bible by like September 12th. I didn't do it, I'll be honest. Uh, so yeah, you know what the Torah is, you too. But anyways, let's keep going. So it's important to remember that Jesus doesn't come to abolish the law or to say the Torah doesn't matter, to say the Old Testament doesn't matter. Jesus doesn't come to abolish it, but he comes to fulfill it. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. So Jesus cannot go against the law. He cannot say, oh, that doesn't matter. The law says that if you commit adultery, then you should be stoned for it. This is the proper punishment. This is what God set up. So what does Jesus do? How does he wiggle his way out of this one? Verse 7 says, And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Oh, I love Jesus. He knows how to turn the tables. So Jesus turns the tables on them and points them to the true judge of each of us, which is God in heaven. So he's not saying that justice should be ignored or that criminals don't need to pay a crime or that there's not a penalty for sin against God. But he's pointing the Pharisees to their own sin. He's saying, you consistently ignore the parts, of, or the parts of the law that say to love one another, to have humility and compassion. You ignore those things. He says, if you're without sin, then you can throw a stone. But they all know that they're hypocritical, that they're sinful, prideful. Jesus points them to their sin and points them to the true judge and says, do we really want to start a stoning thing here today? Because I'm the only one who can stone any of you. He's saying, you have sin as well. I don't know about you, but if God said to me, if you're without sin, throw this on, I'd be a little scared. I don't know. Okay. Verse 8. And once he bent down, or once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. And if you want to know what he's writing about, people disagree about it. So look it up. Have some fun tonight on Google. Figure out what he's writing. It could be the Ten Commandments. could be something like that. They all disagree. So, but anyways, verse 9. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. See, older people are typically wise. They're like, yeah, I've definitely screwed up. I'm out of here. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. So it's just Jesus and the woman now. These men had realized their hypocrisy. They felt convicted and they walked away. And now it's just Jesus and this woman who is probably half naked. because She got pulled out, pulled out of her bedroom. It's a really awkward situation. Just Jesus and this woman. She feels shame. She feels guilty. This is God of heaven looking at her. Come as man. God, God looking at this woman. And then what does he say to her? Jesus stood up and said to her, he says, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on, sin no more. So notice, Jesus doesn't say, neither do I condemn you, now go and keep having sex. How awkward would that be? He says, go and sin no more. He's, Jesus says, because I've shown you extravagant grace, because I'm going to pay for your sins on the cross in just a few months, because I'm going to stand in front of those stones for you on the cross in just a few months, because I'm going to do that, then you don't have to pay punishment today. You can stand before God, and when God sees you, he sees me, because I'm going to pay the price 
for your sins. Jesus says, use this grace, use this off-the-charts grace as God pays the punishment for us. Use that to fuel you as you try to obey him. Because it's hard for us to obey God if it's just a list of rules. Like, oh, I'm supposed to not lie, so I'm not going to lie. I'm supposed to obey my parents, so I should obey them. If it's just rules, it's hard to obey him. But if God has transformed our hearts, it's a whole different story because we truly love him and we want to obey him. So the main point tonight is this. Jesus makes us brand new by, or by setting us free from sin's penalty and sin's power. So it's going to go into two points, penalty, power. So the first point is this. Jesus sets us free from the penalty of our sin by absorbing the punishment himself. So something I love about Jesus is he didn't come and say, I'm just scrapping all the Old Testament. It doesn't matter anymore. Don't read it. It's just stupid. It's old stuff. Don't read it. No, Jesus comes and he fulfills the law. He says, I'm the fulfillment of it. The Old Testament is good because it's pointing to me. And God gave his people laws. He said, if you want to love me with your whole heart and love people and flourish as a community, then you need to obey these rules. God gave these rules out of love. It wasn't, oh, obey these rules, and if you don't get it, judged. No, God gave, gave this list of laws to say, this is how you flourish as a human being. I designed you, and if you obey these things, then you're going to flourish. So Jesus sums up the law in Matthew 22, verse 37 through 39. He says this. You've probably heard this before if you've been in church at all. It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. He's describing the law. He says, this is the greatest commandment. So this is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Everything hangs on love God and love people. Jesus is saying, if I could sum up the law, if you want to know how to obey the law, then love God with your whole heart and love other people. If you do these things, then you're going to naturally obey these laws. You're going to naturally do these things because the law is all about loving God and loving people. But the problem with the law is that nobody could obey it in the Old Testament. For some reason, the human heart has a really tough time doing good things on its own. I don't know if you're like me, but mom tells me not to do something, I'm doing it. Okay, or how about babies, you know, super selfish, toddlers. They're like, I'm not sharing my toys today. I'm not sharing my toys tomorrow. These are my toys. That's the human heart. We don't naturally want to just obey God and love people. We don't naturally want to do that. So we just have this list of rules, the religious rituals, but don't have a relationship with God, then we're going to have a really tough time obeying him. If we obey simply so we won't get punished or go to hell, and it's going to be very difficult to obey God. This was the problem in the Old Testament. They didn't have Jesus. They didn't have a relationship with God. They didn't have their hearts changed. And this is the problem for us today who don't follow Jesus or don't, don't have an intimate relationship with him. We can't just obey God on our own. We need something else. We need to have true love for God in our hearts, and that comes through accepting the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So while God does not want to punish us for our sins, and he didn't want to punish the Israelites for their sin, a good judge executes justice. If a judge did not execute justice, then that's not a very good judge. He's not doing his job. If there's a criminal, he needs to pay a crime. So God is just, and it's a part of his very nature to be just. It says in the word that he's perfectly loving and perfectly just. He somehow is able to be both of these things. And the penalty for our sin, it says in Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. Therefore, when we commit adultery like this woman did, 
the proper punishment is actually death. It is stoning. What God does, though, is he pays the price himself. Because he loves us so much, God sends his own son to fulfill justice. Jesus pays for our sins on the cross. He absorbs the wrath of God so we can stand before God. He stands in our place and pays our penalty. So so instead of this woman taking the stoning for her adultery, the man who sets her free is going to go pay the penalty in just a few months. Isn't that crazy? God who sets up these laws says, I love you so much that I'm going to pay the price myself so I can have a relationship with you. That is incredible. God upholds justice and love all in one. God's able to to uphold both of these by punishing Jesus in our place. So the only one who has a right to stone this woman is Jesus, but he takes the stones for her. If that is not getting you right now, it needs to. God himself pays your punishment for you. The judge pays the price for you. That needs to hit your heart. And if it's not, it's because you're too tired and it's Tuesday night, I get it. But think about it. Jesus pays the price for our sins. We should be on the cross. We should be stoned. She's the one who went and had sex with someone who's not her husband. But Jesus takes the stoning for her. That is crazy. That is a loving God. There's no other religion that's like that. Every other religion says, try to obey these rules, and if you do good enough, God might love you. This religion says, God God loves you so much, and out of that, obey him. This is off the charts. This is off the charts. Galatians 3.13 says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, from the punishment of the law, by becoming the curse for us. Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Cursed is Jesus who hangs on a tree for the sins of the world. Romans 8, 1 through 2 says this, There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation because he bears the condemnation for us. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Jesus sets us free from our sin by absorbing the penalty himself. By being condemned for us, Jesus redeems us from the curse, from the penalty of the law. He's beaten, bruised, put on a cross for us. Now, if we put our faith in Jesus, it says everyone is justified or made right with God who puts their faith in him and trusts in the sacrifice of Jesus. For those of us who do that, God literally sees Jesus when he looks at you. He doesn't see all the terrible things you've done. He sees Jesus because Jesus has covered us. Isn't that crazy? Like for us, when we screw up or sin, we go to God and we're like, I don't know what he's going to think this time. We're thinking, is he going to love me? Is he going to forgive me? But God says, no condemnation. Because I see Jesus right now. I see my own son who I've been with for eternity. There's no condemnation. doesn't matter what you did. If you are in Christ, if you're truly converted and following Jesus, there is no condemnation. God does not change his mind about you based upon your behavior. People oftentimes... Just love the picture of God is love. And I love it too. God, God is love. John 1 says God is love. But like I said, God is also just. He's a judge. It's part of his role. Something that I love to picture, just think about this, okay? There's a criminal who's done something wrong, and maybe he murdered someone, and he goes into a courtroom, and the proper penalty is death, or, or maybe not death if you're against a death penalty. I don't know what I think, so I'm not making a political statement. Uh, or maybe life in prison. 
So the proper penalty is that, but then the judge comes off the footstool and says, I'm going to pay the penalty for you so you can be free. Do you think that should change the criminal? If that happened to you, if you really screwed up and the judge said, I'm going to pay that for you, that would change you, wouldn't it? That changes the way you live your life. That's what God has done for us, precisely what he's done. He's come off his footstool and come and paid the punishment for us. That is incredible. Throughout for each of us in this room, is we are the criminal in this story, we have rebelled against God. We have sinned. And the Bible says the penalty for sin is death. The Pharisees were technically right when they said the woman should be stoned. That is the just and proper penalty for sin, but Jesus pays it himself. He pays it himself. Get that in you. And each of us can have this experience today where Jesus comes to us. He just kneels down as we're in our dirt and in our garbage, and Jesus just kneels down and says, he says, neither do I condemn you today. Now go and sin no more. We can each have that experience. We just have to put our faith in him and accept it. But it doesn't end there. Jesus doesn't just pay the penalty of the adulteress's sin in the story and then leave and say, keep doing what you're doing. He doesn't say, oh, don't you worry about it. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep living your life the way you want. No, he says, go and sin no more. And he gives her the ability to have power, power over her sin in the future. But how does he do this? How is she going to be able to have power over sin in the future? That's the way she's lived her life. How is she going to do this? The key is transformation, a heart transformation. And that will give her the, the ability to obey God. So the second point is this. Jesus sets us free from the power of our sin by giving us the grace to defeat it. The way that we become trapped in sin is condemnation or guilt. Guilt and shame traps us in our sin. It makes us feel like there's no way out. It makes us feel that we're always going to be this way, that God would never want to talk to us or be around us. However, because Jesus has came and absorbed our guilt and, and shame and condemnation on the cross, we can finally have all we need to defeat sin's power in our lives. What we need is to truly understand how deeply God loves us and then obey him out of gratitude for what he's done. That's how we obey him, a heart transformation. So if you're just trying to obey some rules so you get into heaven, you're doing it wrong. You need to have heart transformation. You need to love Jesus. And the only way you can love him is if you let him come in and transform your heart. If you let the truth that he came and died for you on the cross transform you, that's the only way you can obey him. So for many of us, this is what our, our struggle with sin looks like. We do good for a few days. I'm doing real good. I've not gotten angry in like two days. I'm an awesome guy. And then something happens. I get in a fight. And I lash out. And shoot. I screwed up. Then I feel like, okay, probationary period with God. I cannot talk to God for a few days because he's really mad at me right now because I screwed up. And I take a couple days, say, God, I'll be back in a couple days when you're not so angry at me. A couple days, we do good. We're not getting angry anymore. And then we feel good with God again. We're like, okay, God loves me again. That's awesome. I've been doing so good for 48 hours. And God really cares about 48 hours. Just think about that. He's outside of time. Anyways, we go on for 48 hours or whatever. And then we fall into sin again. And we're like, shoot, God's really, really disappointed right now. There's no way I could stand in his presence. All right, I need to hide from him again. And it's this cycle of condemnation and guilt and shame. We get trapped in it. That's how we get trapped in our sin. But if you've experienced God's love and grace, then it should be a whole different effort against sin. You don't try to just do good for a while so God will love you. No, it's all about falling deeper in love with Jesus, the one who's already paid it all for you. And as you fall in love with him, 
Sin slowly loses its grip off your life. As you fall in love with him, you find freedom. You'll want to obey God. You'll want to live within his design for your life. We may slip up every now and again, but we don't have to experience the probationary period with God because he looks at us and sees Jesus. He doesn't see that sin. We need to get right with him and say, God, I repent. It's good to repent for your sin. And, and the Holy Spirit's going to make you feel convicted and say, hey, you need to get right with God. You just sinned against him. And you go to him and say, Lord, I'm sorry. Can you forgive me? A true, like a true repentance. And then you just get back to normal. You're back to where you were. You don't have to go back. It's not like two steps forward, three steps back. I screwed up. And then you're never going to get anywhere. But God says, let's keep going on this journey together because I'm not changing my mind about you. And you go on this journey with me and you find freedom from your sin. Jesus gives us everything we need to have freedom over our sin. The key to having power Power over our sin is grace. This is what changes us and causes us to fall in love with him. His crazy, off-the-charts grace that says, I see how flawed you are. I see how screwed up you are. I see every thought you have, but I still love you, and I still call you my son or daughter. When we get that in our bones, when we get that in our heart, that's how we defeat sin. When we truly know that we are a son or daughter of God who is deeply loved by him, we fall deeper in love. We're filled with gratitude, and sin loses its grip. So I'm just going to do this for review. Last week, I said the gospel is not, you throw it up on the screen, the gospel is not obey, and then you'll be loved. That is not the gospel. That's the message of most other religions. That's not the message of Christianity. The gospel or the good news or the message of Jesus is you are so deeply loved. You are so forgiven, and now just obey me out of gratitude and love for me. If we allow God's grace to flood us, if we allow God's grace to change our hearts, if we allow gratitude to fill us up, then we will find power over sin. Even more so, the fact that we are truly sons or daughters of God should change our effort against sin. So let's look at what Paul says in Romans 8 about this. It's Romans 8, verse 15 through 17. Now this is kind of like some tricky words here, but just... Follow along with this. This is really huge. If you just read it once, you're not going to get it, but, but, but read it and take it in. Paul says this, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Fear of condemnation. Fear that God's not going to love you. You did not receive that. But you received the spirit of adoption. Spirit of adoption. Like, in our world, if someone adopts someone, it's not just half their child or partly their child. No, it's their child. They have adopted them. That is their son or daughter. So you receive the spirit of adoption from God in heaven. He calls you a son or daughter. Come on, get that in your brain. God calls me his son. God carries my picture around and shows his friends. Come on. God loves me that much. You receive the spirit of adoption as sons or daughters. By whom we cry, Abba, Father. And what's that mean? It just kind of means daddy. So by whom we cry, daddy, just like a little kid running up, daddy, daddy, pick me up. Daddy, I love you. That's what we cry in our hearts. Daddy, it's not, God is our king. We need to view him as a king, but it's also daddy. We need to get that. We can't just view him as a king. We can't just view him as a daddy, but, but we need to view it as both, as Lord and as daddy. We need to get both of those things in our heart. And then verse 16 says, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So I just want to make a distinction. I'm not trying to like rain on your parade. 
Okay, I'm not trying to do that. But I often hear people say, all people are God's children. That's a neat phrase, but it's not true. The Bible says that, that we're born children of wrath. We're not children of God when we're born. We're born sinful and rebellious to God. The way we become, because if we're adopted, we must have not been a child at one point. We can't just say, oh, all people are God's children, and then apply this to everyone, even people who aren't in relationship with God. No, you get adopted. You are an enemy to God, but Jesus lays down his life for his enemies, and then he adopts you and calls you son or daughter. So we're not all God's children, but if you put your faith in Jesus and you've been changed by his love, then you are a child. Then you are a child of God, and you can cry, Daddy. You can cry that out because he has paid the price for you. He's changed your heart, and you love him, and he's your dad, and he calls you son or daughter. So when Paul says, if you're in Christ, he always says, if you're in Christ. I'm talking about this. If you're in Christ, then you're a child of God. This means that you put your whole faith in him and you trust in him. Then you are no longer slaves to fear who live your life fearing that God might not love you tomorrow. That's a lie from Satan. If you have put your faith in Jesus, if you have trusted in him, then you are a son or daughter of God and God will not change his mind. I will say that again tonight. God will not change his mind about you. Come on. When God looks at you, he sees Jesus Christ. He sees his son, Jesus, who he's loved for eternity. God will not change his mind. You can view God as your daddy, and daddy ain't going to run out. So if you have, like I'm serious here when I say this, like I know it's hard for some of us to view God as a daddy because you didn't have a very good dad on earth, and I want to recognize that. So if you need to view God as your mom or whatever, I don't know what the barrier is, but try to understand what a good dad is like. That's what God is like. View like if you had the perfect father on earth, God's that times a billion. He's way better than that. So if that's a barrier to you, I just wanted to acknowledge that because I understand we all don't have great dads. And I don't want that to be a barrier for you to experience the transforming love of having a father in heaven. So we don't view God as a judge waiting to condemn us, but we view him as a loving father cheering us on towards holiness. If we ever hope to defeat sin and its power on our lives, we need to get this. We're not slaves, but we're sons and daughters. So a good way to think of God's relationship with us is when children begin walking. When a child first begins walking, he takes a few steps, you know, like you've seen it, a wobble. Oh, he falls over. So what does a good dad do? Does he come, spank her on the butt, and say, get in your room, you fell over. No, a good dad comes, picks her up, says, good job. That was awesome. Let's try it again. I'll help you this time. That's what a good dad does. And oftentimes we view God as just kind of like walking behind us as we're struggling against sin. And we slip up and fall, and God's like, give him a spanking. Go to your room. But God doesn't view us that way. This is really hard to get. I'm still trying to understand this because when I slip up with sin, the first, first natural reaction is to feel condemned. You know, sometimes conviction from the Holy Spirit which says you need to go get right with God, which is a good thing, becomes condemnation. That's my natural reaction, but we need to get this. Like, God is coming up. He's picking us up by the pants. You know, like when the dads pick them up by the pants? I don't know. I just like to think of it that way. He's, like, carrying us. <laughs> then he helps us up. Then we keep walking, and he goes with us on his journey. So if you're thinking, I'm too sinful right now for God to love me, I'm only going to get, like, a half. So maybe you're just, like, crazy dude. You get, like, a little, no, you don't get a step at all. You just fall over. God is there cheering you on, and that's the key. And Satan's going to lie to you, and he's going to tell you, oh, you fell. God doesn't love you. You're not truly a follower of Jesus. No, you're going to struggle with sin still, but God's going to keep picking you up, and eventually sin will lose its grip on your life. 
we need to understand that God views us this way. Let's go, John. I love that. (laughs) If you put your faith in him and become his son or daughter, he's not waiting for you to screw up, but he's cheering you on. He supports you. He loves you. God celebrates with you. He cries with you. Think about those hard moments in your life. Those moments where you're just like really down in the dumps. Maybe you broke up with a boyfriend or girlfriend. Maybe someone picked on you at school like me. I got picked on. I'm kidding. I'm just trying to be funny. Okay, anyways, that wasn't funny. Uh, Something's going on in your life, and you're just down in the dumps. God is there with you. Or it says in Psalms, it says that, that God is near to the brokenhearted. He's with you like a good dad would come in if a child, you know, scrapes her knee or whatever. He comes by and he helps you up. He cleans it up. He loves you. He sits there with you. He cries with you. That's our Father in heaven. God is going to correct you. He's going to convict you of your sin. That's the thing. Jesus, like, he's so loving, but at the same time, he's so challenging. You know, he said, don't, or, I don't condemn you, the most loving thing ever. And he says, go and sin no more. He's still going to correct you. He's going to convict you. He's going to discipline you. He's going to push you on towards holiness, but he's never going to leave your side. So that's what God wants to do with us tonight. God wants to lovingly push us towards the life that we're called to live. God has called you to live a life of freedom from sin, but in order for you to walk in that, you have to have a relationship with him. You have to allow your heart to fall in love with him. You can come up with so many excuses at the age of 18 to 22 of why you shouldn't obey God yet. Think about it, guys. Just doing your own thing. If God is real, if Jesus really rose from the dead, doing your own thing and just trying to be the own Lord of your life, that's not going to matter. If Jesus rose from the dead, then you need to submit your, res- or submit your resignation to your life and say, you are Lord. Because that's all that matters. Nothing else matters. So don't wait. Allow God to, to come in and to make a home in your heart. You have to let him know you you can't keep your arms crossed and say, oh, I just want to keep doing my thing. Because God gave us all these rules and laws. He gave these things so we could find life. It says in John 10.10 10, that Jesus, or it says the thief, which is Satan, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came so that we may have life and have it abundantly. These rules, these, these guidelines are not trying to steal our fun. This is the way to live. So let Jesus come in tonight and make his home in your heart. It's the best way to live. The worship team could come up. We could dim the lights as well. <laughs> so last week, <clears throat> I shared my faith story. And if you missed it, we post all our sermons online. Just go to our Facebook page. It's there. But... One of the things I talked about and what was really foundational in my journey with God was my struggle with pornography. And maybe I freaked you out when I said that. I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry because there's people who struggle with pornography in this room and you need to hear that Jesus can set you free. So I struggled with pornography for six years. From the age of 12 to the age of 18, I was trapped in a daily pornography addiction. And this addiction just entangled me and put a strain on my relationship with God. See, I grew up in church. I grew up loving God. I grew up, like, doing the whole thing. I played drums on the worship team as a 12-year-old or 10-year-old, whatever. I was terrible, but they let me play. I was a church kid. But then this addiction came into my life and began to tell me, you know, God doesn't really love you. If you're struggling with this, there's no way he loves you. And I had it all backwards. I thought if I obeyed God, then he might love me. So I tried to defeat this sin on my own. 
for six years. For six years, I tried to defeat this thing. Now, maybe you can relate with me. Maybe there's a sin that has consumed your life and you haven't been able to find freedom from it. And now you've just accepted it and it's become a normal part of life. It's just part of your world that you're gonna struggle with this sin forever. You're gonna party on the weekends. You're gonna have sex with your boyfriend, whatever. I don't care. Greed, bitterness, whatever. You're just gonna accept this and it's just part of my life and I could never find freedom from it. Every time I try to forgive that person, every time I try to get rid of bitterness, it just comes back to me. Jesus could never set me free from that. Maybe that's you. Maybe you feel like, you're trapped. So right before I got to college here at UNI, I had this just radical experience with Jesus where he forgave me of all my sins, cleaned me up. It was incredible. I told the story. Check it out. Jesus is good. But the thing that happened for me is I found freedom from the drinking, the smoking pot, the partying, all that stuff. But pornography stayed in my life for a couple more months. And then I came to Chi Alpha. It was August 25th, 2011. I played drums back there where John's at. And I met my wife during that service. There's like 18 of us. So just like, like us here hanging out. It's awkward. No, but so I came to Chi Alpha and the pastor started talking about fall retreat. I'm thinking, I do not want to go canoeing and camping with a bunch of sweaty dudes for a weekend. That's not my thing. I don't do it. I'm not going. I don't care what this fall retreat is. But my pastor called my mom on the phone and said, will you pay for him to go? And she said, of course. So I had to go pretty much. And I went to fall retreat, and I wasn't expecting anything. I wasn't, I was like, okay, I'm just going to hang out with friends, you know, whatever. But the first night of fall retreat, I experienced something that I'd never experienced before. You know, I had that radical experience with God, but this was like just on the next level, okay? And the pastors gave the sermon about, you need to take, your, or take responsibility for your faith. That was the sermon. Like, you cannot rely on your spiritual leaders. You cannot say, oh, this person's hurt me, so I can't be right with God. You can't say, oh, I'm trapped in this sin, so I can't have a relationship with God. He says, no, you need to take responsibility and come to the altar and get forgiveness for this. So that night, I was, my heart was beating so fast. I'm like, he knows about my pornography addiction. He's got to know about it. And I told my friend, I said, all right, I got to share this with you. Like, I got to find freedom from this. And actually, my friend was struggling with the same thing. So we just wept before the Lord together. It was an incredible experience as we prayed for freedom. And then the next night, I had this encounter with God called the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And maybe you have no idea what that is, and that's okay. But it's this experience where God just empties you of yourself and fills you with his Holy Spirit. It's crazy. It's off the hook. Come to Far Retreat for that. But the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and from that point on, pornography left my life. It was crazy what happened. I'd experienced God's love in such a way and experienced his power that I could never go back to it. Sure, I had a slip up here and there, but, but it was broken off my life. And I can honestly say it, it's been like three and a half, four years. That was five years ago when I went to Father Church. Like three and a half, four years, no pornography at all. After looking at it every single day for six years, sometimes twice a day. Jesus set me free from my sin. And here's the thing. Throughout the battle, Satan told me so many times, you can never find freedom from this. It has such a grip on your life. There's no way you could ever find freedom. And I believed him. So at first I'd repent and ask for forgiveness, but there just came a point where I said, I'm done asking for forgiveness. I cannot get this out of my life. It's just part of my life. I'm here tonight to tell you that that's a lie that you can't find freedom. Jesus can set you free. Jesus can set you free from your sin. Jesus can shatter the bondages on your life. Believe it tonight. He did it in the scriptures. He did it in my life. He's done it in so many people's lives. But you have to believe again. You have to believe God can set me free and you have to bring yourself to him and just come before him broken and humble and not holding anything back and saying, God, I want more of you in my life. And you have to allow him to transform your heart. 
Because you have to let him do that. But until you say, all right, I got nothing. Until you come to God and say, I got nothing. It's not going to happen. So tonight, Jesus wants to give us more of him. I just believe that with all my heart. So the main point, just to remember, it's this. Jesus makes us brand new by setting us free from sin's penalty and power. So tonight, I have a question for you. I want you to answer honestly. I'm going to give you a few seconds. Does Jesus love you? Does he love you? What's the first reaction in your heart? What's your heart telling you deep down? Don't just think of the song, Jesus loves me. This No, no. Do you really get it? Does Jesus love you? Think about the things you've done and ask yourself, does Jesus love me? Guys, it has to go beyond just knowledge in your head that, oh yeah, I know God loves me. He's supposed to love people. It has to be in your heart where you truly understand that he knows everything about you, every hair on your head, every thought you've ever thought, and he still loves you. And if you need help understanding that he loves you, you need to look to the cross. The, the bad thing about growing up in Christian culture is the cross just becomes the symbol that we wear on our necks. But think about the cross where Jesus was bloody and beaten and bruised for you. He thought of you. He thought of every sin you had and he stayed up there. Think about the cross. And when you understand that God in heaven came down as a human and he died for your sins, he was beaten and bruised, just horrific death. When you get that, that will change you and you will understand that he loves you so much. He loves you so much. I don't care what you're struggling with. Jesus loves you. Tonight, you need to get that. If you get nothing else, Jesus loves you. Come on. Jesus loves you. Romans 5, 8 says, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, he didn't, or doesn't say once we got cleaned up, then Christ died for us. No, it says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Stand with me tonight. There needs to be a response to this love tonight. There needs to be a response. This is not a, oh, great message. That was cute. The story about the fire alarm was cool. I'm going home. I'm going to eat some food and do homework and go to bed. No, we need to respond to this. We need to give our hearts to Jesus. Not just raise your hand, praying a sinner's prayer so you get out of hell free. No, give your heart to him. Say, you are Lord of my life. We need to have this encounter. Each of us in this room is the woman in John 8. Each of us is the woman laying there, having nothing to bring to God, deserving condemnation, every right for God to throw a stone at us. Each of us is that woman. But God does not leave us there. He doesn't throw the stone. The only one who's worthy to throw the stone at us does not do it, but he pursues us instead. Jesus leans down to us and tells us, I have not condemned you today, but I'll pay the price. Then he points to the future and says, you're going to have power over that sin because you're going to truly love me now. And the beautiful thing is God will guide you through the journey. You're going to struggle. You're going to struggle towards holiness, towards perfection, but God will be there every step of the way, just as that good dad is, as we talked about earlier, picking you up by your pants. That's God. I'm a testimony of God's forgiveness, God's freedom. He can set you free. He can free you from your struggles. 
Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. So if you're a truly a follower of Jesus, like you can honestly say that I have a relationship with God, then this question's for you. Like, like if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you haven't entered into a relationship with God, then this question's not for you. This is just for people who are following Jesus, Christians. If tonight, if you're just gonna throw it out there and say, there's been some sin that's entered my life and it's put a strain on my relationship with God. Maybe you've believed that it separated you from him and you can never have a relationship with him. If that's you tonight, tonight you need to lay it at the feet of Jesus. Just as I did a fall retreat, this needs to be your night. So if that's you, I want you to raise your hand right now. Nobody looking around. This is a personal time. Just raise your hand. Tons of hands going up. God sees everything. He sees all the sins that are represented in this room. But he tonight is leaning down to you and saying, I don't condemn you. Now go and sin no more. And put your hands down. For the second group, if you haven't entered into a, to a relationship with God, if you've never really, if you're honest with, guys, if you're honest with yourself, you're not really a follower of Jesus. Maybe on your Facebook, but you're not really a Christian. If that's you, or you need to, to recommit your life to Jesus tonight, tonight God wants to come in and make you into a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, then he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And I've adopted you and called you a son or daughter. That doesn't say that in there, but that says it later somewhere else. But God calls you son or daughter if you put your faith in him. If that's you, if you need to come into relationship with God and accept Jesus' penalty on the cross and say, I'm not holding anything back. If you want to enter into a relationship with the God of the universe, tonight is your night. So put up your hand. There's nobody looking around. Let's see him. Is there anyone in this room? Is there anyone in this room? You need to put your faith in Jesus and find a relationship with him. See that hand. Is there anyone else? Anyone else in this room? All right. Thank you, Jesus. All right, we're going to pray for both of those things. Jesus, thank you that you lean to us and you say, neither do I condemn you but go and sin no more. Thank you that you are saying that to each of us tonight. Thank you that Romans 8, 1 says, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. God, we proclaim that truth over our lives tonight. And we ask for freedom from our sin. Help us to experience your grace like never before. For every hand that went up, Lord, we're just asking to come in and show us how much you love us. And God, we want freedom from that sin. And secondly, for the person that raised their hand, for those, of you who, for those of you who want to put your faith in Jesus for the first time, I'm just going to pray this prayer out loud and pray in your hearts and put your faith in Jesus. God, we love you. We thank you that you came and you died for our sins on the cross. God, I've been doing, doing life my own way for all this time, but I've realized tonight that I need to have a relationship with you. So tonight, Lord, I'm putting my trust, I'm putting my faith in you and saying, saying, I accept your love. I accept your sacrifice. God, I love you. I'm ready to be your son. I'm ready to be your daughter. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're gonna sing an incredible song. You're gonna love it. Let's go.